Well, good morning. My name is David. I'm the liturgist here, but this morning it's my pleasure to be delivering the sermon uh, on this wonderful summer day. If you looked outside, you might have noticed the sun is finally out. And that's because I am done with the school year. Uh, and so God was waiting. Uh, and he said, there you go, Dave. There's a summer for you. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited that, uh, as many of you know, I'm a high school teacher, so I'm happy to be out for the summer. Uh, it gives me some time uh, to rest, some time to do a little more preaching. I'll be preaching next week as well, uh, and uh, spending some time with you in John chapter 7. Uh, but I still am working out some of my teacher habits. Uh, we're going to actually start this sermon out with something I've been known to do in my classroom once in a while, which is give a pop quiz. That's right. Uh, there's a couple rules, though. Uh, you got to close your Bibles. Can't have your Bibles open. You got to put away your phones. That's something I have to tell students uh, a lot uh, myself. It's, uh, I'll do you a favor, though. This is going to be a group quiz, so we can all do it together. It should be easy for you good Presbyterians to name all 12 disciples. So you can shout, shout them out. Let's see if we can name them. you got to be real loud, though. Okay, I heard Peter. I heard John. Okay, you should have gotten Andrew. Good. Uh, James. We already got John. Thomas. Good. Bartholomew. Judas, you got to remember Judas. Who else? Anybody else? Did somebody just say Thaddeus? Sometimes people forget Thaddeus. Philip, good. James the Less, good. Poor James the Less. We got Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Judas Iscariot, Thaddeus, James the Less, and Bartholomew. There's two more. Do you know who they are? I heard Matthew, right? We got Peter. The other Judas is the same as Thaddeus. We'll talk about that. It's weird. I don't know if anybody said it, and I'm sorry if you did, Simon the Zealot. Because listing the disciples, good job, we did it. They, we, uh, we get to stay in the presbytery. Uh, the, it's one of the tests, right? Uh, uh, anyway, uh, a lot of times we get Peter, of course, and we should always get Andrew, uh, John, and James, the sons of thunder. They always... Uh, get a lot of attention. Uh, Thomas, Doubting Thomas, Matthew got to write a gospel. Judas Iscariot was the one bad one. So those ones we tend to always remember. But of course, because we got a lot of smart people in here, we didn't forget Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, James the Less, or of course Bartholomew, who gives the name to this uh, sermon, which is Who Are You, Bartholomew? Which I, you can ask my wife, I've been pleased with all week. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but what's up with, the reason I say, who are you, Bartholomew, is we don't know a lot about these people. 
Thaddeus, we're not even 100% sure what his name is uh, because he's also identified sometimes as Labaius, sometimes Jude, sometimes the other Judas that's not Iscariot. I, I feel like it's like the gospel writers were like, who's that one guy that used to hang out with us? Thaddeus, was that his name? Uh, Simon the Zealot, we don't... Uh, all of these guys, the only time they're in the Bible is when they list the disciples. But Simon the Zealot's got a cool name. I always remember him because he sounds like he was like the, you know, the crazy one. Uh, James the Less sounds like the worst one to be because he's got the less in his name. But he's often thought to be a brother or relative of Jesus and possibly the author of the book of James. So that's a big deal. And then, of course, you got Bartholomew, who's also one of those unlucky disciples where they're they use different names sometimes. Sometimes they think he's Nathaniel. Uh, so the thing this made me think of was why do we know so little about these disciples? And one question that could come up is, is it because they were bad disciples? Because they were failures? Well, when we think about it, I think the answer to that is of course not. If you think about what it means to be a success in your life. Think about the lives these men would have lived. They would have been present for Jesus performing all the miracles that we're reading about. They would have performed miracles themselves in his name. They would have seen the resurrected Christ. They were even there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first fell down on humanity. Any one of those things would make an amazing life, but they were there for all of them. Even Jesus, when he's praying about his disciples, says, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. So there was one failure disciple, we know him, uh, Judas. But the other ones seemed to cross the finish line. And then, of course, I think maybe the greatest honor you could ever have is in the book of Revelation when it describes the city of New Jerusalem descending from heaven and talks about the way the city's built. It says, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So that means when heaven descends, According to the book of Revelation, and New Jerusalem arrives, there will be a foundation, and on it will be written Bartholomew. So that's pretty good. Uh, I think that's about as good as you can get. Yet, this success that they have seems to conflict a bit with many of our modern American ideas of success, the type of success that would cause your deeds to be written in the history books. It would cause you to have great personal fame. Yet there's so little we know about these disciples. And I think one reason might be that the way their lives are successful is in a different way. A success based possibly on the values of the kingdom, not on the values of the world. When Jesus says, who gets into the kingdom of heaven? He says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we're reminded that this kingdom is a kingdom where the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
So just because these disciples' names and their deeds aren't written all over Scripture doesn't mean they didn't do a good job. And I bring this idea up because I think it relates to the section of the book of John that we're going to look at today, which is the opening uh, 13 verses of chapter 7, because in this section we'll see Jesus reject the formulas for success that are dictated by the world, and he's instead going to lay the groundwork for what will make his ultimate mission successful. So let's read that. Uh, it'll be up on the screen, or you can, you, if you still have your Bibles closed, you can open them now. Uh, the quiz is over. Uh, and we'll read this, uh, verses 1 through 13, John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some say he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Well, there's a lot going on in this passage. The first moment, though, that I want to focus on is this advice that his brothers give to Jesus. Uh, they're looking at Jesus... And they say, you do some, some pretty fancy tricks, Jesus, uh, but your whole ministry is in a rough spot right now. Because if you remember our sermon from last uh, Sunday, uh, many of Jesus' followers are starting to leave him because they can't really deal with what he's actually saying to them. This is where it leads, you know, Peter to say, where else would we go? The 12, we'll stay with you. But he's starting to lose followers, which is never good for a company or for a star on the rise. So Jesus's brothers give him this advice. They say, you got to leave Galilee. That's, that's, things aren't happening in Galilee. Galilee, you need to go to Judea near Jerusalem so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become, and this is a phrase I'll focus on, a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. You see, Jesus' brothers here are somewhat acting like his PR agents. Uh, they're giving him business and, and career advice. Uh, they see him maybe in some needs for some reputation rehabilitation after uh, the uh, last chapter. Uh, not only are people starting to not follow him, but when it comes to the larger world of uh, the Jewish religion, the religious leaders are trying to kill him publicly so that even people are afraid to talk about him. So things are not going well when the brothers look at his ministry. And to be fair, on some levels, their advice might be good advice. If you consider a celebrity today who's 
starting, their star is starting to fall, they might need to go show people what they're made out of and gain public opinion back. It's something that we're familiar with today because their advice to become a public figure sounds a lot like what we would expect giving our modern American notions of fame. We live in a world where many people's beliefs regarding what society views as success in life revolve around fame. They revolve around the glorification of the individual self. This is a time when people's images are often carefully curated for public consumption through things like social media and other platforms in order to become what the brothers call public figures. In preparation for this sermon, I was reading something called the Success Index, which came from a Gallup poll that interviewed many Americans. And there's some interesting results when it came to what we consider a successful life. One interesting thing that was when they polled people between the ages of 18 to 35, and they found out what they listed as the top indicators of a successful life, two of those top indicators were one, being famous, and two, having many social media followers. For those of you that don't know what social media is, it's this thing on the internet that you sign up for. You probably have a Facebook account. Uh, so, uh, and in fact, 25% of young people uh, said that for their job and career, they wanna be what's called an influencer. An influencer is someone online that curates a very specific public image in order to gain followers, gain fame, and then advertise products. Uh, even in the church today, uh, we have people described as celebrity pastors. That's a newer phenomenon, at least where you can have pictures of the latest pop stars and movie stars right next to uh, the celebrity pastors. But I would say it doesn't take much research into this issue to find out how problematic this phenomenon has been. So fame is important in America. Or at least we think it is. Because there's another interesting statistic in this poll. It was that when asked this question, they found out that 92% of Americans that they polled think they said yes to this. Americans believe that others in society would say being famous is the most important factor. So 92% said yes when they said that's what society, what other people are going to say is important. So there's an overwhelming majority that believes that society expects fame to be important in life. But when they were asked, what do you think, only 3% said they thought it was important. So we have this huge disparity between what people know to be important for success in life and what they think the rest of the world wants. And when you start looking at that gap, you start to see that this view that society wants you to be famous, to glorify yourself, is somewhat oppressive. People know it's not what we need, yet they think that's what they have to do. There was an article I ran into a couple times when researching that was famous among uh, uh, business people. It's from a business magazine called Fast Company. Uh, and it's an article by a man named Tom Peters called The Brand of You. A brand is a, a 
the public image of a company or a product, but he says this applies to individuals as well. He wrote this, we are CEOs of our own companies, me incorporated. To be in business today, our most important job is to be head marketer for the brand called you. It's that simple and that hard and that inescapable. At first I picked this quote, I said that's a good quote to show this idea of almost this egotistical uh, image-based part of society, but then I kept reading it and it was that last line, it's that simple, that hard, and that inescapable that seemed to hit me, that even this writer is saying it's almost like we can't escape this feeling that society wants us to glorify ourselves, put out this perfect image of ourselves so that we can gain success but also gain acceptance and love. There are many of us that maybe aren't looking for celebrity or fame, but we are looking for a lot of acceptance from those around us. That we think that if we could just get everyone to like us or think highly of us, that would make a successful life. I know I've struggled with this before. This is one reason why it hit a note with me. I grew up a pastor's kid. Now, there's a lot of things that come along with being a pastor's kid, but one thing is, is that within your church community, which when you're a pastor's kid, you spend a lot of time in, your father is a big deal. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And in turn, it makes you kind of a big deal. I can't tell you how many people knew my name, but I didn't know who they were. Uh, And then that becomes kind of, a part of what you expect success to be, to be a person of notoriety, to be seen in some way above others. And then that puts that pressure, the pressure to succeed, the pressure to be seen as successful, to be seen by everyone as a notable person. Well, the truth of this scripture The encouraging truth is that this pressure to glorify oneself is part of the way of the world, but is not the way of Jesus. Because we see when he responds to his brothers, he doesn't say, you're right, how can I get them back? Instead, he says, you don't get it. He says, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. At this moment, Jesus goes, no, that's not what I'm trying to do here. As N.T. Wright comments on this section of John, he wrote, Jesus' brothers, quote, wanted him to appear in public as often as possible and become as well-known as he could. Jesus was not only working on a different timetable, but to a different program. He was not trying to boost his own reputation, but God's. When John says that his brothers didn't quite believe in him, they don't, they don't see the whole picture here. Jesus isn't merely a miracle worker, a traveling magician of some sort. His success is going in the complete opposite direction of fame. They say, go, win back the crowds. He says, you don't understand. My path is not to public acceptance and fame. Jesus' path to success 
will be on the cross. RVG Tasker, in his commentary, says this same thing. He says, Jesus' brothers, quote, imagined his glory to be limited to demonstrations of his miraculous powers, wherein, in reality, it could only be supremely displayed by his crucifixion. He would manifest his glory at Jerusalem on a cross, not at the Festival of Tabernacles. Jesus' brothers say, you want your ministry to go this way. And he says, you don't understand. It's going in the opposite direction. Leon Morris, in his commentary, said, Jesus' mission and its very nature must be unpopular. He says, I'm not here to please the world. I'm here to complete God's plans. Another way we see Jesus' approach here to be opposite to modern notions of personal fame is that he does actually come to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Me and Pastor Peter were talking about this. We're like, was he trying to trick his brothers? He said he wasn't going, but then he goes. But look what he does when he goes. Instead of glorifying himself, he shows up in secret. And then, as we see in verse 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? First of all, Jesus is being praised here. You are really smart, Jesus. But he doesn't take this moment to bask in his own glory. He immediately turns it this way. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. When Jesus does speak in public, it's not to make himself a public figure, but instead to glorify God. Jesus' brothers thought that he needed to rehabilitate his ministry that he needed to go out and prove his worth and gain back public opinion. But Jesus knows two things. I mean, he knows a lot of things, but two things he knows is this. One, this is the way things are supposed to go. I know where this ends, and it doesn't end as me as a star. This is a path to the cross. And two, and I think this is important for us, is that although public opinion may have changed, nothing has changed when it comes to his relationship with his heavenly father. And this is the true source of his power and his success. He doesn't need to acquiesce to the fickle allegiances of the masses. Basing his ministry on the whims of the public would be like building his house on the sand. The rock that he'll build his ministry on is his relationship with his father. And we see him in this moment, in, even when he's speaking, a loving, reciprocal relationship with his father in heaven when he, quote, seeks the glory of the father who sent him. They say, how do you know so much? He says, don't you understand that I know this because I know my father? It's this relationship of love between the Father and the Son, poured out to us through the Holy Spirit, 
which we're invited into through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And to fully enter into that relationship, at some point we must reject the values of our modern world that say that we must magnify, commodify, and glorify ourselves. Because the meaning of our lives is to enter into a relationship with the loving creator of the universe through Jesus. And we're here as the church to share this relationship that we have, to invite others into a relationship, just as Jesus invited us into the relationship with his Father. We invite others into relationship with Jesus. Our mission is not to glorify ourselves, but be reflections of Jesus' glory so that people may see him and know him. And I like to think that perhaps those little-known disciples, the Bartholomews, the Thaddeuses, spent less time on the pages of Scripture because they spent more time just basking in the presence of Jesus. And if that's true, I consider them a success. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we hear your words. We hear your words that you're here to glorify the Father and invite us into the relationship of love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for that love to descend on everyone here. To relieve them of pressure that success in life is all based on their own personal accomplishments. Lord, our success is achieved once we say yes to a relationship with you. We pray for the reality of your presence in that relationship to be manifest in the hearts and minds of everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray.